0: This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford, and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. This is the first episode of the second series of the podcast. You might be interested in listening to episodes from the first series, which are all off on my website at sarahjefford.com. In this episode, I interviewed Anna, who is, well, a woman of many talents. She is a surrogate in South Australia. She's also a maths teacher. She's obsessed with data and she collects a lot of information about surrogates and their journeys, including their pregnancies and keeps track of where everyone's at and uh, collects all these stats about how these relationships are formed in Australian surrogacy arrangements. She now also works with Surrogacy Australia's support service, which I encourage you to check out. I'll put the link up in my um, post so that you can uh, follow what Surrogacy Australia is up to. I'm going to hand over now to Anna.
1: My name is Anna Mackay. I'm 35 years old, live in Adelaide, married to Glenn, have two kids, Emily, who's four and Ewan, who's two. I've been an egg donor three times and I've been around the surrogacy world for two years now and am and, and planning, I guess, my second journey um, with two lovely guys in Adelaide. That's
2: lovely. I'm so excited to hear about your second journey. But first of all, I wanted to ask you how you came to surrogacy in the first place.
1: I think I've wanted to be a surrogate since I was about 14. I remember having a conversation with a friend at school who thought she didn't have a very high pain threshold and wouldn't be able to give birth. And so casually I said, oh, I'll just be a surrogate for you then and not really realising at 14 at the time what that meant. But I think I planted a seed in my mind and then I had smooth pregnancies and births, as often quite a few surrogates who come to this have had. Then I think also becoming a mum, um, I guess you realise with your kids you have to model good behaviour. If you want them to have manners, you have to have manners. If you want them to help people, you have to help other people. Um, I know surrogacy is an extreme case of wanting to help other people. Um, but I think I felt like I had something to give there. I, and then I was on maternity leave the second time round, And w- one of the final catalysts for pursuing this was a, a student that I used to teach. Um, Michael first got diagnosed with cancer when he was fourteen. Well, 13, I think, end of year eight. And for most of year nine, he was off sick. But he still got ducks, like top of the year level. for Every year he was at school. I had him in year 12 and a brilliant kid. And he was part of a group of students that I used to catch up with um, a couple of times a year, but the cancer came back and he, yeah, one time when we we caught up um, with his mum too, it was a group of kids whose parents were lovely as well. It really hit home that he was a young person going through a battle of cancer. And I guess I'd had older people in my life have cancer, but never a young person. And it just hit home how helpless i was there was nothing i could do for him it was down to him and his doctors and he's still fighting it um he's about to finish his engineering degree so he's a he's a fighter but i just wanted to help and there's nothing i could do and that really hit home that although i couldn't help michael i wanted to do something really big in life that helped somebody else something huge and felt yeah significant that made a big difference to someone's life and i think surrogacy is
2: that. I think surrogacy would have to be maybe one of the biggest things that we can do and you're right it leaves what's what's our legacy what's our imprint Mm -hmm. when we leave yeah that's amazing yeah Um, now you started with egg donation is that where you first started when you decided that you were going to pursue surrogacy or was that just something that had come across in another way?
1: They kind of started about the same time Um, the investigating of that my sister is 12 years older than me. She lives in New York. And her now husband, um, when they were in their early 40s, they decided that they'd like to have kids. Never, entered, That was never something that, that they initially wanted. So that they tried um, a few rounds of IUI and then one round of IVF and weren't successful in getting any eggs. And I just had my daughter and and it just hit me going, oh, she's my sister. I mean, yeah, we're half sisters, but um, why don't I offer her an egg if I had any? So I, I did offer, and they thought about it, and they declined. And, yeah, and that's okay. And that's, you know, a lesson in this world that it's okay for people to say no. Both IPs, or, or in- IPs, intended parents, uh, that it has to be right for everybody. And so they decided for them, their journey to parenthood, if it wasn't genetically going to be theirs, then it wasn't meant to be and they're okay with that. And that suits their lifestyle now and they're happy with that decision. So then I thought, well, if I was going to offer my sister one, maybe I could offer somebody else one. So the first egg donation was through my best mate's cousin and the baby from that, baby Jake, has been born very recently and there are currently two other people pregnant um, with Anna's army. (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, it is like so that though some some egg donors and i'm sure sperm donors as well end up raising you know the, they are contributing to a new army in their own you know, their own progeny
1: <laughs> that's right yes so the two kind of happened at the same time i think i did the first one so i suppose my egg donation and surrogacy journey started in about september 2016 that's when i first started investigating both worlds Really, so yes. In September two thousand and sixteen, I um, actually found the forum fertility connections first before the Facebook group, and it was an amazing thing. It was I felt it was like this web of people that were connected to each other, and the the support that they were giving each other was phenomenal. I actually, uh, kept a journal and took notes of all the the, the big namers that were um, had done lots of posts and were commenting on each other's and. Almost writing down this web or jigsaw puzzle of how they're all connected and who was whose surrogate and IP. And uh, Julie and Siobhan were two that, you know, I went back to their first posts and saw where they were just friends. And then over time, you see, oh, well, they've, you know, matched and, and all of that stuff. So I then yeah, wrote my initial post and I see that there was this Facebook group mentioned called the Australian Surrogacy Community or ASC. And I wasn't part of Facebook. I'd been off for five years. So it was a big decision. Oh, do I go back onto Facebook or not? And I eventually did. And so the two, you know, there's a lot of support between the two of them. I then also discovered through the forum, uh, Marion's blog and Renee Gollan's blogs. And I like a true nerd, I felt that I, wanted to do lots of research into this so i went and read their blogs from the beginning it took me quite some time and the other thing that was cataclysmic i suppose was the fact that marion and rachel cundy's news of hugo's diagnosis happened within a week of me joining and learning about surrogacy and i didn't understand it at first how how could this happen is this, is this real? Is this, does this stuff happen in life? And, and that's let alone um, happening in a normal pregnancy, let alone in surrogacy. So for me, um, I guess I was on maternity leave, had a bit more time to do some thinking. And I, I, so I guess some people will go back and listen to Rachel's podcast that the pregnancy that diagnosed with um, a muscular dystrophy and the baby wasn't expected to live. And I was thinking, what if that happened to me? I'm I'm signing up for this surrogacy thing. Wow. What if that happened to us or whoever I team up with? And so I thought for me, I sort of vowed that to give baby bears life meaning, I had to make sure I found a team that could weather a Hugo storm. That's how I put it to myself, that if that, diagnosis happened while I was pregnant. I needed to make sure that I would teamed up with two people that I didn't know but we developed a friendship over time that we would be able to support each other if the death of a baby happened. So that was pretty huge going into surrogacy, going that that stuff could happen. So it was in some ways it was good it took off the rose-coloured glasses. You have this sense of you wanting to help a couple, um, bring life into the world and help make them parents or expand their family but it was like, wow, these are one of the realities of what could happen here. So I think we owe it to ourselves to go slowly and take time and do research and talk to lots of people to understand, yeah, the implications of all of this. So then I, yeah, joined the Facebook group as well and went to my first catch-up and started, um, you know, making friendships with people. But at the time, towards the end of 2016, there was really not many in Adelaide that were looking, many intended parents. So I um, just kept learning and researching and joined the surrogates group on Facebook as well. And then there were these two guys who um, were sharing some posts and they were in Melbourne and they were lovely. And our, um, we struck up a, a conversation and just as friends, I never wanted to do an interstate journey, working full-time at the time with um, two young kids that it had had to be Adelaide and so we thought, well, I could be a support for them, and they could be a support for me, because we all need supporters along the way. That um, they could be another set of intended parents, I could sound ideas off, and I could be a surrogate. You know, when we each eventually found a match. And I remember um, Beck Marshall, another podcast star, uh, took a <laughs> took a photo of herself with them at a Melbourne catch up, and uh, shared it in the group, um, essentially for me. And and I remember trying to pimp these guys out. <laughs> to the other surrogates saying, these guys are lovely. Come on, girls. Somebody hook up with them. But then perhaps it's, you know, all that while I was falling in love with them myself. (laughs) So then it's sort of like, well, maybe I should see if we could entertain doing an interstate journey. So we started chatting in January 2017 and in mid-February I posed it to them, let's entertain an interstate journey and what could that look like? How would they be able to offer support to me being interstate? How often would, would we catch up? And let's talk through the logistics of that. So, yep, we started chatting and got on like a house on fire. And with my husband too, and Skypes and that sort of stuff. Then we met at the start of April. They flew to Adelaide for a visit. And um, over that weekend, I essentially um, offered, you know, I look back now and I think that how fast that was. Um, but as a surrogate, you, it's exciting. You... If you follow your gut, you, it feels right. You fall in love. Mm. And it really does feel like that. And, you, yeah, you're enjoying each other's friendship and you're on the same page with lots of things. So we, we kept chatting and developing the friendship, essentially daily contact with messages and whatever. And then we started to plan the logistics. So they were with Melbourne IVF. And so those in the surrogacy community know that of all interstate arrangements, um, Victoria is one of the hardest ones to do it interstate with, partly because, well, from my experience, there were so many in-person sessions that had to happen. For example, with the counselling in other states, I think, Sarah being the lawyer, I'm sure you could correct me if I'm wrong, but as long as you use a certified counsellor psychologist and some of your sessions have been in person, then that can count as the counselling requirement. So it would have been easier perhaps if the two guys had flown to Adelaide and we had completed our counselling there, but from um, the, either Melbourne IVF's rules or Victorian rules, much more needed to be done with their clinic counsellors in Melbourne. So the logistics of that were starting to, to mount up, but we, we thought, okay, we, we see what we can do here. That was then gonna be hard on my husband because one, it's one thing for me to fly into state and he stays home, looks after the kids, but then a, couple, a few of these appointments, he had to be there too, in person. So then what do we do with our kids? Um, And then the other thing was they weren't allowed to be in the room. So you have two young kids, interstate, who's going to look after them? And I remember I mentioned this in the surrogates group and about half a dozen, yourself included Sarah, um, offered to look after them, maybe take them to the zoo or something like that. So it was lovely that there was this community of supporters willing to help out. So yeah, so for a husband, that's, that's a huge commitment, how does he feel comfortable with strangers looking after his kids? And I guess as a surrogate, you understand, you know, what you, you're expected in surrogacy and the paperwork that's going to go with that, and the, the physical being pregnant and all of that. And so, yes, husbands sign up for it, but you want to try and minimise the impact on them, I, I think. So Glenn knew that he would have to attend some appointments, you know, for an Adelaide um, journey, um, but having him to fly interstate too was pushing my luck a little bit there maybe if we had slowed things down a little bit i'm not quite sure of our timelines with the previous guys if um perhaps if we'd done one appointment a month maybe it might have taken us six to nine months to get through all the paperwork perhaps it could have been more manageable but it was starting to feel like it was not working in with their timelines as well we also had some differences of opinions on something called selective reduction so for people that um, don't know. I suppose um, putting in two embryos into a surrogate in Australia is pretty much not done. On the whole, it's it's one thing to carry twins to expand your own family, but to carry it for surrogacy, I guess when there's no extra financial compensation, there is too much of a burden. Um, but selective reduction is essentially, well, my understanding is that if you put one embryo in, but it splits, and then you're suddenly carrying twins, but they're both perfectly healthy babies. But if a surrogate, either for medical reasons or whatever reasons, um, has said perhaps she doesn't want to carry twins, what does the team do in that situation? Uh, and, and so that was, you know, big conversations for us there. But I think we hadn't quite decided on our opinions on that one. Um, I then visited them in June. We, 2017, we had the surrogacy conference in Melbourne and I stayed with them and it was a nice weekend there. Um, And you look back and you can see a few cracks were starting to mount up there, but at the time you go, look, I'm sure any journey's got its bumps and you have to work these things out, Um, but what's a bump and what's a a roadblock, that sort of thing. So at the end of June, um, um, again, after some lots of big Skype conversations and whatever and some weekend to think about it, um, they officially called it off, which... um, yeah, so they did that um, well, it was via email, which I know some might think, oh, that's uh, written. But no, that worked for us because it gave me a chance to read through it and all of their thoughts um, and digest that before we had a chat on the phone. It's funny, how, did, I remember how did you a-
2: process that? Because I think probably the assumption is that the parties that are most invested in the surrogacy are the intended parents because they're the ones that have a baby to get out of the process. But my experience is that the surrogates can be just as, if not sometimes more, invested in having a baby and having a successful journey than the intended parents, perhaps.
1: Absolutely. Um, By that point, you know, nearly around in surrogacy for a year, I've thought about surrogacy every day of my life, multiple times a day. It's part of my being now. And... And then you start this planning journey for six months and, you know, you start imagining when your paperwork might be complete and therefore when you might have a transfer being pregnant and I'm a high school teacher and I've, you know, therefore imagining which term would I have off on maternity leave and would I teach your 12s in that year? And so I've planned my life around this. Would my daughter have started kindy or primary school? And so it's a huge investment that you do. So it was shattering Mm -hmm. is, is the word I was shattered. Um, it was a Monday. <laughs> I can remember that because I remember thinking, I can't cook tonight. I'm not in any state and there's no takeaway options open on a Monday. <laughs> These are the things that I remember. And I remember sitting on the kitchen floor on that night crying. And my daughter, Emily, who was say three and a half at the time, came up to me and said, "Mummy, why are you crying? And what do you tell her? And at that point, so we, they'd met the guys too. And, you know, there'd been presence exchange and we'd got to know them and, and we had told my kids, well, particularly, you know, Emily, who understood a bit more what we were going to do for them, that we're going to have a baby with them. And so I said to her, oh, trying to find the right way to tell her, I said, oh, well, we're not going to have a baby for the guys anymore. So she thought about it and then she said, um, will we have a baby for somebody else? And uh, <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, gosh. I said, um, yes, I suppose, eventually. And she's like, okay. Mm -hmm. and that was it and you know kids logic it's lovely Mm -hmm. um it's not that easy to get over that emotionally but um obviously factually yes that's what we're going to do um and so that that's one thing i would think of sort of an advice in that sense that definitely involve your children in getting to know the intended parents and if the intended parents already have children themselves but you don't necessarily have to put everything on the table as to why you're getting to know each other. It's just mum and dad's new friends. And we're just like when I have new friends from work or whatever, I don't say, oh, these are my new friends. And they are friends because of this reason. You don't have to give a reason to every new friendship. Um, Not to say to lie to them, but the tricky thing is untelling them. If the friendship falls apart or you go your separate ways, um, and then they're not in the kids' lives anymore. I think they find that much harder to understand the breakdown as opposed to the adults. They can understand why you're not in as much contact. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a breakup. And in any relationship where you have a breakup, it's hard. And it's essentially, it's, it's not an intimate relationship because there's no physical relations there, but it's a relationship of intimacy because you're planning a baby together. And that's something that you usually only do with your life partner. So you have to get to know them really well. And you become a part of each other's lives and you're planning for them to be a part of your life forever and and them for me. So there was sadness, even though it might have been the right decision. It still took time. So that was mid-2017 and and I did a lot of soul-searching then. Um, I learnt a lot about myself. I read the, the Five Love Languages book and even if I then stopped surrogacy, never pursued it, I've learnt more about myself as a, a woman, as a friend, as a wife, as a mother, through that book and a few others that have been so beneficial, um, to particularly how I interact with other people and what I expect back. Um, some other books on empathy, which... I've learnt, you know, I think we all think we're empathetic people and but, I've, yeah, I've learnt a lot. Still got a long way to go but it certainly helped put myself in other people's shoes a lot more. And I can look back at when the guys and I broke up and I know there were some things that I did or said that were emotional and irrational and so I, we, you know, the contact um, falls off a bit after but we'd always intended to be friends and I think it was important to both of us that we try and, maintain that friendship obviously it's changed a bit and um they've um since through some mutual friends have um, continued on with their surrogacy journey which is wonderful news for them and so your friendship has to adjust over time there so we we saw at the year with them they sent some christmas presents for the kids and things like that and yeah the friendship's been slowly getting back over time but obviously that um surrogacy takes a lot of time and so their their new journey with their um, surrogate, um, you have to invest a lot of time with building that relationship, so obviously we're not in, in daily contact anymore um, we then caught up for the first time 12 months later in June of 2018 at the surrogacy conference in Sydney although they weren't there for the conference they happened to be in Sydney for that weekend and so we had breakfast together one day and, and that was nice, it, it wasn't awkward, it was just nice to catch up as friends and I think that was it um, good part of the healing to happen it's funny actually Sarah you were the one that said something that helped me with maybe just that one of the last parts of um healing there is that because you know these guys that um that they're lovely guys and Anna's a lovely person but just because you're lovely people doesn't mean you have you're going to be a surrogacy match or you're going to make the best team I think that was some really good advice um that just because surrogates and IPs meet each other or they feel there's a great click and that they know each other are lovely people, doesn't mean you're going to make the best team. So I think that's some handy mm-hmm. advice. Then looking back, I can see that I call it, um, I think with those guys from Melbourne that we would have had perhaps a silver journey, not a gold medal journey. Now, you know, nobody would, um, you know, turn their nose up at a silver medal. That's mm-hmm. certainly true. But then having now watched some other gold medal journeys or teams perhaps i can see that that's kind of what i wanted so yeah the guys know we would have made it work um but there were some some differences there so then i sort of made it uh, for the six months did some soul searching and basically made a pledge to myself that so i guess i was 34 at the time and i gave myself till 40 to find the right ips for me (laughs) that's a long window um because i wanted gold i wanted to find people that filled my cup in the way that I wanted it to be filled. And at first that felt a little bit selfish that, you know, who am I to be so a little bit arrogant, say, this is what I need. But I realised, no, that's okay for us to have our love language spoken in the way that that we want it spoken. And and that's what I was prepared um, to wait for. So then I started looking again in Adelaide this time only at the start of 2018. And again, not too many IPs around, but again, none that would have been the right fit for me. And I decided to trust my gut, even if it meant making a quick decision. And, you know, there might be a 5% chance that I turned away the right couple. I was going to trust my gut this time and uh, just to avoid any hiccups along the way. Uh, Yeah. So I've become heavily involved in the Adelaide, surrogacy community and started hosting dinners about once every three months to help support other people as well, Um, and I guess in some ways keep my eye out for (laughs) any new intended parents. Uh, Also, helping out um, Sam Everingham with the uh, Families Through Surrogacy seminars that are run sort of twice a year. And then in the start of April, um, there were two lovely guys called Matt and Brendan who um, joined the forum, Fertility Connections, and the Facebook group. And I struck up a conversation with them and the rest is history. No, but I'll tell you about it.
2: <laughs> so can uh, I ask, when you were going into this, when you are meeting these two new people for your second journey, um, was there any sort of sense of uh, like, how do I get this right? What do I do to prepare to make it right? Do you have a, like a checklist to say what, what is it that I'm looking for to make sure that this journey is the gold one I'm looking for?
1: Good point. I, yeah, good question. I think not oh, a lot of surrogates will talk about it, it's really hard to pinpoint that. But there's a click, there's a spark that happens. There's chemistry, which would happen in you choosing your own partner in life. So there's got to be that initial that we could be friends outside of surrogacy if we just met through mutual friends. Um, but then having some of the hard conversations fairly early, sussing out finances, I suppose, to know that surrogacy is an option for them that they've got you know stable income that sort of stuff um for these guys i guess um, matt has already been a sperm donor for um his two friends a female couple in melbourne and they'd already had one child and were pregnant with the second and having somebody that already understood how this world works and they'd gone through melbourne ivf so that as a couple and so they understood the counseling requirements and challenging yourself in that sense. So that was a real draw card for me. Uh, yeah, any other checklist? But I suppose it was the love languages. So for me, I'm a words of affirmation or a talk person and a time. And it's not like, well, we've only in recent times now, so it's sort of been six months along now. We've each done the, the love languages quiz for each other and officially know what we are. But I suspected fairly early on that, that Matt, the one that I have the most contact with, we were quite similar. So I suppose, yeah, just there's that initial connection there. Then, yeah, so we started chatting in our first meetup. We chatted, you know, without a breath for five hours. And, and Brendan and I are quite similar in terms of um, we can be quite blunt and we like that in each other. So that was, that was a really positive thing. And so, yeah, fairly early on, I said, okay, let's date. So I suppose I'm now, you know, a real advocate for a, a best model practice learning from others that take this time to get to know them and if if they're prepared to do that i'll rephrase that if they're not prepared to take say six months of just getting to know each other then perhaps maybe overseas surrogacy suited for them if they need a more guaranteed timeline and a certainty because you know essentially what you're saying is at the end of the six months i don't get that feeling or you know it doesn't seem right then we're going to part ways it's sort of open and upfront about that and that might not suit everybody but those that it does suit know that this is a massive thing that we're doing essentially we're going to be in each other's lives forever in some capacity and and for the sake of this child that's going to be born from this friendship we owe it to each other to get to know each other Uh, i like the example that with your lifelong partner your husband or partner whatever unless you accidentally get pregnant most people wouldn't dream of having a baby within three months of getting to know each other unless it was unplanned you usually get to know each other then live together perhaps and and that sort of stuff and then get ready to have a baby so why should surrogacy be any different
2: that's a really good point I haven't heard anyone frame it like that but I would say that's that's perfect you know why don't we jump into making a baby with somebody for surrogacy if we wouldn't have done that with our partners deliberately
1: Mm. Mm. yeah so I think that And then for the sake of that, the kid that will be born of this, that we owe it to take the time so that we don't all jump into bed together, (laughs) so to speak, (laughs) um, too early. Yep. So her husband, Glenn, was on board and I loved saying to people, "Um, uh, my husband and I are dating two men. Mm -hmm. I I love the reactions (laughs) that that gets out of people. (laughs) I'm dating two men. Oh, my husband's dating them too. (laughs) And (laughs) we would have um, in date nights where it was just for the adults and we would have... Uh, yeah, talk through the, the hard questions about our views on termination. And uh, Katrina Hale has a list of 20 questions that are uh, really good to discuss. We actually discussed them as a team. I think the intention is that you um, work through them individually, <laughs> but we we knew we could probably handle doing that. And then we also had catch-ups with the kids. So we've got two kids um, and where they would come to a house, but initially meeting in parks and playgrounds and, and building that rapport, seeing them with our kids. And I guess getting to that point where we trust them with our children, because essentially they're going to trust me with their child to extremely babysit it for nine months. Mm. So it was important that, uh, yeah, we build up that rapport. And one of the clinches was they came up to our house one Sunday morning and helped us build a sandpit for the kids. Um, I guess I was almost testing them in some ways from what I'd learned from other surrogates that Put them out of their comfort zone a little bit. Ask them to do something um, with you. It might be to help you move house or, or something like that. So they're investing some time with us and helping us do a thing. And um, Matt looked after the kids um, but brilliantly for a couple hours and let my husband do some other jobs. And Brendan and I worked together and, and planned out the sleepers for the sandpit and whatever. And Brendan and I talked about there was this moment where we each had jobs to do and we were silent and for chatterboxes like us that was quite significant and and we realized we got to that place of comfort with each other that you get to with your own partner when you can be in silence and you don't feel the need to fill it and i think that was quite quite a turning point i wanted to offer to them on the spot then of course <laughs> I had to hold that back. it's so um, romantic as well yeah yeah it was really nice and mm-hmm. And I think you get little glimpses like that along the way to go, yeah, this is feeling right. And we we didn't talk about surrogacy at all that day. It was just about family and life and and all that sorts of stuff. So then, yes, so then the way I offered it, it ended up being after five months and we did this thing called um, the adventure rooms, which is like an escape room. We planned that as a team for an hour, you're trapped in a room together and see if you can escape, which um, is a great team building exercise. And I'd planned to, uh, officially offer i had this box made for them at the end but as some people pointed out um what if it went really badly and you, you hated watching them in this room and at the end of that hour you're like no we're not doing surrogacy. sorry, sorry <laughs> it's off <laughs> what but if anyway. you stayed
2: in the room what if you couldn't get out <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's right as Katrina Katrina talked talks about being trapped in a car together for nine months how would you navigate that so yep. it could be a challenge but <laughs> uh so that worked yes. well and Uh, it was very exciting and and we all went out for dinner afterwards so now that was mid-september and here we are end of september and we're now at that point of starting all the planning so we had went to the obstetrician together and um, i'm very much about embracing them into the whole surrogacy journey the full (laughs) exposure of the inconvenience of pregnancy too Mm. Uh, attending as many appointments as possible. And they want to do that as well to get that real sense of what it's all about. Uh, and eventually, you know, when you're pregnant blood tests and, and scheduling that around your work and having to plan your day to do that, the car trip for a five minute blood test. So yeah, we're all on the same page about those sorts of things. And um, they've done their individual counseling. Husband and I are due to do our counseling and then the joint. And then also started um, uh, with the lawyers and they've started conversations with Reprimed, um the fertility clinic in Adelaide, and they've got a friend who's going to be their egg donor. And what we've heard from the clinic is that we're actually going to be the first same-sex couple to go through, to, to do surrogacy in South Australia and Adelaide, even though Which the laws have not Yeah, so it because the,
2: the laws in South Australia until 18 months ago, uh, yeah. gay couples, uh, uh, same-sex couples were not allowed to go through IVF for surrogacy. That's
1: right. Yeah, that's right. So we're a bit surprised. I thought others might have done it beforehand, but perhaps the word is still spreading there mm. that um, this is an option for same-sex couples in South Australia Well, and across Australia. I think it's still the word is spreading there. Congratulations. So, though. Thank you. It's exciting. So so so... Now that you've
2: gone through that process of, you know, five, six months of getting to know them and then offering. Um, have you got any reflections on how you feel about this relationship compared to the last one in terms of your uh, comfort level going forward to have a baby for them?
1: Well, the first thing that jumped to mind was I'm completely myself. Um, warts and all. Um, the, the brash version of Anna and that comes with ups and downs. Um, I don't feel like I'm... Um, I guess we got to the point with the previous guys where... When there was this bit of tension, I would then like script out a message, and I would reread it a couple of times to make sure that the tone was right. Um, I didn't want it to be misconstrued, um, and I was sort of second guessing myself towards the end there. Whereas here, I'm just, I just write, and and that's lovely. I also think for me, um, seeing people in person helps to put any anxieties at ease a bit more because I can read body language, and therefore. Um, if we, it might be, you know, a few weeks in between seeing each other because I've started to build up that rapport with them in person of how they react to me, I then can interpret what they write back in the right way and know that what I'm writing back is going to be interpreted the same. That's why I think long distance or interstate relationships can be challenging because you don't get that chance to yeah, read body language as often as possible. And when you're building a relationship with a person, it because this is quite an intimate act doing surrogacy, it's um, yeah, there's a lot of, ang- I think there's a lot of anxiety there for a lot of surrogates going, do they like me? Am I saying the right stuff that I know we're um, giving a gift, but we're here to build a relationship with people as well. So we, um, I guess want to be liked and, and I want to build a genuine relationship with people so that you, you can break down that barrier. If they actually like me as a person, not just because I have a working uterus, mm. um, even though both sets of guys have totally been genuine in that sense. But I know, it's a fear that you would have that they're just saying the right stuff to please you. Um, so at least I've been fortunate in that sense. So yeah, I guess trusted my gut and, um, yeah, always very accommodating, um, being flexible time, no pressure, that sort of stuff. That's exciting.
0: Thank you for joining me for the first episode of 2019. If you would like to get in touch, you can find me at sarahjefford.com on Facebook and on Instagram.